You are now listening to Theology Applied, a podcast of Eternal City Church, where theology walks the pavement. Welcome to another episode of Theology Applied. Today we are going to start a mini-series on emotions within our larger series on sanctification within our larger series on soteriology. This is like Chris Nolan's Inception movie where there's a dream within a dream within a dream. Understanding your emotions and gaining control over them is an essential element and Holy Spirit-fueled skill we must learn. Prayerfully, this podcast will be a help to you. Alright friends, welcome to another episode of Theology Applied and we are continuing in our journey through soteriology and we are in the Ordo Salutis still in sanctification. We're in part four and we're going to start a mini-series within sanctification on emotions. Emotions are essential and an everyday experience to human life and we're made in God's image. God is an emotional being. And so by us being made in his image, we are emotional beings as well. Broken emotions for sure, but we are still emotional beings and we should learn what that means in the context of sanctification. So first, God made us emotional or feeling creatures. This is his design, it's his architecture. Uh, It's not a mistake. This is what God wanted when he made us. Now, we live in an age where most people process reality through their emotions. It's the number one filter by which we use uh, or which we use to process everything that comes to us during the day. It's evidenced by how we respond and talk to one another. For example, I feel like or my feeling is uh, I feel like you're being too harsh with me. I feel like you're not paying enough attention to me. I feel like you don't care. I feel like we have no time to get anything done. My feeling is we need more structure around here. I feel like you hate me, etc. It's it's the number one filter by which we process reality often. And many times our emotions or our feelings do not equal reality. In other words, our feelings or emotions tend to lie to us and distort or twist what is really going on. So we must remember that sometimes our emotions are valid, but often they are not. Often our emotions distort, twist, fog, filter uh, what is really going on. So let's start with a, a secular definition of emotions. Any strong agitation of the feelings actuated by experiencing love, hate, fear, etc., and usually accompanied by a certain physiological change, as increased heartbeat or respiration, often overt manifestation as crying or shaking. And we've all experienced this, the manifestation in our physiology. Um, Our heart rate goes up, our eyes widen, maybe our gaze tightens, our eyes water, uh, our, our Our breathing increases. And this is all part of God's design. This is how he made us. Now, the Bible is not silent on emotions. In fact, it's it's packed with emotion if you have that filter by which to read it. How about let's look first at we we feel a wide range of emotions. Proverbs 14.10 says this, The heart knows its own bitterness. And no stranger shares its joys. Now, the heart is the core of your being. It includes the emotion. It includes the will. 
It includes the motives. It's the center or the core of our being. And so your inner person, if you will, knows its own bitterness and no stranger shares its, the heart, your heart's joy. Now, think about this. This is showing the range of emotion, bitterness all the way to joy. And and bitterness here, the word represents sadness, grief, trouble, mental distress, anguish. And the other word, joy, means happy, merry, delighted, to be glad. The verse is helping us to understand that no one can fully enter into another's experience of emotions. We can see their emotion. We can uh, feel the, the impact of their emotion. But you should never expect someone to feel what you feel. Uh, empathy is a huge word in our culture that's actually controversial. Who would have thought that the word empathy would be controversial? But it is. And some are against it. Some are totally for it. Some say you can't be you know, compassionate and caring without full-on uh, unbridled empathy. But to feel another's emotion completely and 100% is often what we mean by empathy. And, and that's just impossible. As the scripture says here, no stranger shares its joy. And in the same way, no stranger shares its bitterness, even though that's not what the text says. Uh, but we can feel sympathy. We can feel compassion for another. And it does move us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So we, we, in helping each other to grow, need to understand first that our emotions lie to us. They distort reality. But sometimes emotions are valid. And so that's the first step is what, what is going on here? Is this emotion valid? Is this emotion not valid? I think of Jonah in Jonah chapter 4. You remember he's cursed, if you will, the city of Nineveh. Uh, it's going to be destroyed. And so he goes up onto the hill overlooking the whole city and he makes a little booth for himself. And a, and a plant, God makes this plant to grow up, a huge trade, uh, shade tree. And he gets the shade and he's happy and joyful about the plant. The next day he wakes up, God sends a worm. The worm destroys the vine or the plant and, and Jonah's angry. And then God confronts him and he says, do you have a right to be angry about the plant? And he's like, I'm so angry I could die. Why don't you just kill me? And so we see a little bit of the twisting of emotions here. He's, he's so upset about a vine or a plant that has been destroyed that he just wants to die. I mean, that's, that's a bit, ex, you know, extravagant (laughs) to go from I'm mad about this plant to I just want to die. Now, in the mix of that is also he wanted Nineveh to be destroyed and God is going to be gracious and compassionate to them because they repented at his message. So that's certainly in the mix. But then God confronts Jonah and, and he says, you're mad about the vine that you didn't tend or plant or make grow. Uh, and, and, and you're angry that it's gone now. Should I not be concerned for Nineveh uh, because of its massive amount of people and also its animals. Uh, and, and so the, the book ends there. It's the question. You know, Jonah, I think, probably wrote the book and he's, he just leaves it open-ended. But God confronts his negative emotion. He's so angry about the plant. And God says, do you have a right to be angry about this plant? And, and the implication is no, you don't. And so there are certainly times where emotions are not valid and we should assess them that way and see no, this isn't good. I, I should I should probably move to another emotion. Uh, it's a it's a whole thing altogether to understand what emotion is going on that 
delves into the realm of emotional intelligence, which there's tons of even secular books on emotional intelligence. And all that really means is being able to identify what emotions you are feeling and, and see it, but also to be able to see it in others and identify what's going on there. Um, so we should not get frustrated that people do not feel or display the same intensity of emotions as we do because Proverbs 14.10 says it can't happen. But remember, bitterness and joy, that's, that's kind of a wide range of emotion. And we, we feel these emotions as God-given uh, design features. Fallen human beings are flawed and broken. Therefore, we must remember that our emotions are also flawed and broken. We should never undiscerningly trust our emotions or let them guide us through life. That's important. You should not be driven by your emotions. They should not be, in a sense, in the driver's seat, holding on to the wheel and driving your life. If you're a person that is allowing your emotions to drive your life, you are a person who is inconsistent, ungrounded, probably frustrating everybody, and probably one minute you're up and the next minute you're down and the next minute you're up. And, and so your plans are wildly changing depending on how you're feeling. We should learn to have control of our emotions, which is the ninth fruit of the spirit, self-control. And we'll get into that as we uh, progress through this podcast here. Another end of the spectrum is we should also not ignore our emotions, so if one side is letting them drive, the other side is just ignoring them, suppressing them, and pretending they don't exist at all. We're not meant to be emotionless or stoic. Uh, stones without emotion or feeling, that's godliness. That is not accurate. Uh, you read the scriptures and God is emotional and Jesus is emotional and Paul is emotional. He's crying on the on the. Uh, beach with the Ephesian elders and uh, as he's about to depart. And, and so it would be wrong to say stoicism and stone cold, you know, not happy, not sad. That's the way to be. That's godliness. It's not. That's, that's a, a distortion also. Um, to say it another way, it's not that the more sanctified we become, the less emotionless we become. In fact, it's probably the other way around. The more godly we become, the more right emotions we feel or the right emotions attend the situations. And yet they don't drive us. We get to control the emotions. The emotions don't get to control us. That is sanctifications in emotions, friend. You need to learn and by God's grace, by God's help to control your emotions doesn't mean suppress them. It just means control them rather than them controlling you. Now, let's talk about positive and negative emotions, okay? Often we think of positive emotions as good and negative emotions are all bad and sometimes even negative emotions equal sin and that's just not the case. Author and counselor, biblical counselor Winston Smith of CCEF says this, we should reject the binary view that positive emotions represent spiritual maturity and negative emotions represent sin. That's, that's a false dichotomy that we should reject. We should not buy into that, to that binary. If we feel any of the negative emotions, we associate them with sin and guilt, and so we feel bad about feeling them. And then Winston gets into this helpful way of thinking about this. He says, how do you feel about how you feel? 
It's a, it's an introspection question. Do you feel guilty for feeling guilty? Do you get angry at yourself for being angry? Uh, are you not sleeping well because you're anxious about being anxious? Um, are your physical emo- are your emotions causing physical damage to you because they're plaguing you with guilt? They're plaguing you with maybe even frustration and perhaps uh, in heightened times panic because the fear just grips you so much. Um, certainly emotions do have physical effects. I, I'm, I do a lot of biblical counseling. And so I meet people with a wide range of emotional struggles and trials, and we are to wrestle as Christians with our emotions. Um, and and some people do have biological, physical, uh, chemical defects that they need certain medicines to help them. That's a reality. And I think that's also part of Christian wisdom and common grace that God gives us uh, medical technology in the form of certain drugs to help us uh, with our lacking chemicals. We should not just reject them wholesale because that's unbiblical and of the devil. That would be unwise and to reject God's common grace. That's not to say that every single negative emotion needs a medical diagnosis and some kind of medicine. I'm not saying that either. Let's not go to the extremes. Negative emotions can be like signs, and I would say they are signs, that point us to something else, okay? If you're uh, at a stop sign, the sign is not the point. The sign is telling you to do something, and it wants you to stop because perhaps there's a four-way intersection or there's a bus stop or a walkway. So the sign is, is pointing to some reality beyond itself. In the same way, negative emotions often point beyond themselves to something else that's important that we should pay attention to. So rather than just trying to suppress negative emotions, we should rather try to look at them objectively and see, all right, these if these are signs, what are these signs pointing to? We're in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania here. So if you're driving down the parkway and you see a sign that says five miles to the city, uh, the point is not the sign. The sign is to say, hey, in five miles, you're going to reach the city. It's pointing to another destination down the road. In the same way, your anger could be pointing to something that needs addressed. Your guilt could be pointing to something that needs addressed. Your fear could be pointing at something that needs addressed. In other words, these are opportunities for introspection by the power of the Holy Spirit to see what is it that needs addressed here. Now, we'll, we'll talk more about that in a second, um, but I also want to say that your negative emotions, not just being signs, but should be uh, a jump off, a catalyst to send you to God. Okay? We should pray. One of your first reactions to negative emotions should not be to just express it. <laughs> Whatever it is, I'm just going to express it. I'm going to go with it. I'm going to let it drive and I'm going to let it take me wherever I need to go with this emotion because that's just being real. I mean, that's authentic. No, self-control is the ninth fruit of the Holy Spirit. And it means that you control your emotions. Your emotions do not get to control you. So where should they drive us first and foremost to God? to prayer. Uh, Fear should drive you to God. Anxiety should drive you to God. Anger should drive you to God. Um, Guilt should drive you to God. All these negative emotions should take us somewhere, and that somewhere is to God. Ask Him for help to guide you. Ask other Christians for wise counsel. Read the Psalms, especially with an eye to the emotions, because the whole book is 
psalmists, multiple people writing lyrics that are emotional and they're aimed at God. Even the negative ones are still being directed at God, like Psalm 88, very dark psalm, yet it's pointed at God and that's faith because the negative emotions that the psalmist is wrestling with are aimed at God in the right place. Let's talk about negative emotions and temptation. All right. James, a New Testament wisdom book, James says this in in James 1, 13 to 15, let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Keyword there, desire at the end of 14. Then Desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And so we see a progression here with God not tempting, rather desire inside the person is tempting the person. And here's how it works. There's a strong desire, desire conceives, and then gives birth to sin, and then sin, when it grows up, it brings forth death. The wages of sin is death. Now, this Greek word for desire here is ep epithemia, epithemia. And it means this desire, longing, craving, lust. And Ray Orland Jr. in his commentary on the Proverbs even opens it up a little more. I I love this. I'm going to quote Ray here. Our basic flaw is what the New Testament calls desire. For example, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, brings forth death, James 1, 14 and 15. The word, therefore, desire, the word there for desire, means something like emotion in overdrive. <laughs> emotion on, you know, red, redlining in the emotions. It is the death-creating power inside of us. It shows up in our wacko emotions, Let's never think that just because we feel something honestly and effortlessly and sincerely, therefore it's an okay feeling. We sinners sin honestly and naturally. We do not have to try. It surges out of us from deep within. But the gospel remedy is not zero emotion. Christ finds us and receives us as emotional jungles but he does not turn us into emotional deserts. It's a great sentence. He cultivates us as emotional gardens with life and color and order where our drivenness and compulsiveness and all the rest are redeemed into a holy and beautiful freedom and intensity. That is gospel emotion given by grace. If you are out of control or just dead inside, Give yourself to Christ today. His heart is open to you right now. Let's open ourselves now to his wisdom. And, and what Ray's saying here is, it's, the problem is often our desire, and he points to this, this word, epi, 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 <laughs> epithemia, okay? I'm not a Greek scholar here. Uh, epithemia, and, and, and Ray is calling it, emotional overdrive or redlining in the emotions. And and we need to have control of it rather than let it have control of us. 
Now let's let's talk about Psalm 42:11 very quickly because again the Psalms are very emotional and they they are helpful for us. The psalmist, these are the sons of Korah, and and at the end of the psalm, the last verse, 42:11 says this. It's a it's a lament song. It's a song of negative emotion. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet again praise him, my salvation and my God. Now you see here in the verse, uh, verse 11 of Psalm 42, you have a cast down soul. That sounds like depressed. That sounds like down. That sounds like weighted. And, And then he says, why are you in turmoil within me? He's talking to himself. He's talking to his own soul, his inner being. And he's saying, why are you in turmoil? And then he preaches to himself. He says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. Remember, the sons of Korah were the songwriters uh, and the singers. For I shall yet again praise him, my salvation and my God. So he's looking to God to save him from this cast downness, from this turmoil within him. Now, there's a famous quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, the great English preacher, now deceased, in his book, Spiritual Depression. And, and Lloyd-Jones experienced spiritual depression, and this was the remedy he found. And he's commenting here on Psalm 42, 11. And so let me read for you what Lloyd-Jones has to say. He says, the main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual de- depression, in a sense, is this, that we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of us talking to ourselves. Am I trying to be deliberately paradoxical? Far from it. This is the very essence of wisdom in this matter. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You've not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? He asks. His soul had been repressing him. This is the Psalm 42. He says, who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. This is the man's treatment in Psalm 42. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? He asks. His soul had been repressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen to me for a moment. I will speak to you. Do you know what I mean? If you do not, you have but little experience. Lloyd-Jones kind of blunt sometimes, and he gets blunter here. He says, the main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. Now, Lloyd-Jones, I I think he has 400 some, you know, messages on Romans alone. He's a, a very serious man about the scriptures. And so when he says the main art in the matter of spiritual living is, we should listen. Knowing how to handle yourself. In a sense, it's getting mastery over the self and the negative emotions. And Lloyd-Jones continues. Listen, he says, you have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why art thou cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope in God. (laughs) 
hope in God, instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is, what God is, what God has done, and what God has pledged himself to do. That's the promises. Then having done that, end on this great note. Defy yourself. Defy other people. Defy the devil. Defy the whole world. And say with this man, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance, who is also the health of my countenance and my God. Again, quoting Psalm 42. So Lloyd-Jones' help here for us is, you must talk to yourself instead of allowing yourself to talk to you. And, And that is kind of paradoxical, but what he's saying here is this, you cannot just let your mind and your emotions run wild. You must get control. And this is the essence of the ninth fruit of the Spirit, self-control. You have to take the negative thoughts or this the stream of thoughts that come to you in a negative way and are just weighing you down and tempting you to sin and, and saying to numb this pain. You rather, no, you're going to listen to me now. And you quote scripture to yourself and you... Uh, read the Bible out loud to yourself, or you listen to someone else talk. I, I, I know I've done this many times. My mind can, cannot get out of the negative cycle, and it's creating negative emotions within me, and I feel so heavy and so down and so demotivated to do anything for Christ or anyone else. I just want to go to sleep and take a nap. I need at that moment to do something positive, and I need to listen to someone else's voice instead of my own. And so I will put on a fantastic theologian, or perhaps a song that is resonating with the negative emotion I'm feeling. And I need to hear someone else talk instead of listening to myself talk. And so in a sense, I'm taking Lloyd-Jones advice and I'm commending this to you. Listen to an R.C. Sproul, listen to a John Piper, listen to an H.B. Charles, listen to an audiobook, uh, listen to a, a gospel-centered, theologically rich song, Uh, Listen to the Psalms or read out loud so you hear yourself reading and stop listening to the negative stream of emotions that are just running through your head. All right, let's talk about self-control as a remedy to emotional chaos and we'll end the podcast. We must not let our emotions drive our behavior or dictate our decisions. Let me read that again. We must not let our emotions that are negative drive our behavior or dictate our decisions. This is how we get in so much trouble. Okay? This is why we're inconsistent. This is why we go after drugs and alcohol. This is why uh, we say things that we regret, then we have to repent later. It's because we're in our feelings, quote unquote, and then we act out of them rather than having control of them, which is, again, the ninth fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so we're in the flesh, in a sense, and the flesh is producing all these negative emotions that are unwarranted, and then we act out on them, and we get into trouble, and we sin, and then we have to repent. Now, Ephesians 4, 12 to 14, is speaking in the context of truth. And this is one of my favorite sections of Scripture. This is where Jesus conquers, and, and he gives gifts in his uh, parade of victory. And, and, and Paul says he, he gives the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. And their job is to equip the saints or Christians for the work of ministry. And so, In that, he says that this equipping the saints for the work of ministry will do this, build up the body of Christ. So it's a a positive construction project where there's upbuilding and the body of Christ is people. And he says what this will look like 
in verse 13 is, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. So he's talking about unity and understanding and knowledge. And then he says, to mature manhood. You could translate that in the Greek, to a fully grown man. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Okay, and that's Romans 8, 29. That's our sanctification right there. You've been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. And then look what he says in verse 14. He says, so that we may no longer be children. Children are immature. Children are little. Tossed. This is what children are like. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Now, again, the context here is truth versus error. It's the word of God, the word of Christ, the Old Testament, the words of Jesus versus error. And immaturity looks like I'll just grab anything that sounds good versus holding on to what is solid. And and the way he describes it is children tossed to and fro by the waves. If you've ever been in the ocean, you know what it's like if if you've experienced strong waves. They just drive you and and you try to fight them uh, and they they throw you around. Maybe you've gotten pummeled by a a breaking wave on the beach and it just rolls you through the sand and grinds your your face or your shoulder into the sand and you come up with a brush burn. It's happened to me many times uh, as a beach lover. And so this is the idea, tossed to and fro by the waves, or you could think of it as a boat in the middle of the ocean, not maybe where the sand hits the shore, and the waves rise up and come down. I've been in boats where it's very windy and very wavy, and the, and the waves just throw the boat around. It tosses it to and fro. And then he says, carried about by every wind of doctrine. So now the picture is strong gusts of wind, just picking up leaves or even sometimes you know, homes, if it's, if it's hurricane force or tornado force winds and by human cunning. In other words, not originating with God, not originating in the scripture. This is just craftiness and human scheming. Now think about this. Hey, let's use the imagery and let's think about emotions. Let's not stay as children being tossed to and fro by the waves of our emotions. Let's not stay children being carried about by every wind of emotion that comes on our path. Hey, friends, again, context of Ephesians 4 is talking about truth. I'm using the imagery or the metaphor to say we are immature if we cannot get control of our own emotions, especially the negative ones, which then propel us into sin, which we then have to repent from. That's not sanctification. That's (laughs) anti-sanctification. So, This is a good picture of how emotions drive us and how maturity looks like being able to grow. You still feel the feelings. Okay, I'm not saying we we suppress. Again, I'm not saying we become stones and emotionless. That's not godliness. But we do not give control of ourselves over to our emotions. So a good picture of maturing, not maturity, but maturing would look like God wants you to feel deeply both positive and negative emotions, because Jesus felt deeply and he never sinned. Jesus was joyful. He rejoices uh, that the Father had revealed truth to uh, babes and, and hidden them from the deep and the wise and the understanding. At the same time, Jesus weeps 
bitterly at the tomb of of Lazarus, his friend. And so Jesus is is experiencing a wide range of emotions in the Gospels. Read the Gospels with an emotional lens on and you'll see Jesus frustrated. You'll see him uh, really, really troubled in soul to the point where he's bleeding out of his pores in the Garden of Gethsemane. I mean, if that's not an emotional passage, I don't know what is. Yet Jesus wins over his emotions there. He says, God, let this cup pass, yet not what I will, but what you will. And and Jesus comes out of that war there with his negative emotions, his fear and his his humanness kind of coming through. And he wins and he he stands up from that. And immediately here comes the crowd to get him. Uh, He is, in a sense, submitted to the Father's will. uh, And the Father's will was the cross. It was death. It was horrible. But it was substitutionary and necessary for us. So rather than not feeling, it looks like feeling deeply, as Jesus did, yet mastering your emotions in the negative realm and in the positive too. Because for some of us, if we're super happy, we make wild and crazy decisions in our happiness. And then we sober up from the happiness and we, oh my gosh, what have I done? You know, or we commit to things because we feel so emotionally up. And then when we come down and we sober, we're like, what did I commit to? Um, So we need to get control of our emotions rather than allowing our emotions to control us. Now, here's the big idea for today. We're going to do more episodes on emotions. Uh, This is kind of a primer. And so I'll see you again next week with emotions part two.